This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, I haven't much time to chat tonight due to the length of both programs we're about to hear. At the half hour, we'll be entertained by George Burns and Gracie Allen, who will be welcoming an old friend, Jack Benny, to the show. But first, a program that's always entertaining, Escape, and the episode, Three Good Witnesses. speeding through the Turkish night on the Taurus Express. You are alone and unarmed, and somewhere on the train is a calm killer from whom you must escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to Turkey and the Taurus Express which carries a shipment of death. As Harold Lamb told it in his exciting story, Three Good Witnesses. I took the Taurus Express that night because I was going home, back to the United States, back to California, and my routine job at the oil company. Two days before, I'd given my final report to our State Department man in Istanbul, a negative report. Isn't Mr. Ward, your considered opinion is that there is no oil in this area? Not enough to be worth drilling for, not at this late date. War would be over before we could get out 10,000 barrels. You're being optimistic, Mr. Ward. War isn't over yet. Who can say when it will be? Well, that's true, but... Uh, uh, what does Orvark say? He agrees with me completely. So does Wyndham, the British engineer. We're all agreed. Mm, three good witnesses, hmm? Well, then that settles it. What do you mean, three good witnesses? Oh, that's an old saying out here in the Middle East. Come from the Arabs, I think. In their old law, the testimony of three independent and trustworthy witnesses was enough to establish the guilt or innocence of an accused person. Mm. But why three? I suppose two witnesses to a crime might tell the same lie. But if three fellas tell the same story, well, it must be true. Mm. Maybe. Now, I suppose the odds against three making up the same story would be high, but I don't know whether I'd like to trust my neck with that kind of justice. Yeah, it is a little different from the justice back home in Chattahoochee County. Mm. I imagine you'll be wanting to get back to the States as soon as possible. Indeed, I do. Well, I can put you on the Taurus Express Wednesday. You'll be in Cairo by Saturday. 
Get an ATC plane that'll have you in Washington three days later. Istanbul to Washington in less than a week. It's a small world, isn't it? So I was booked on the Taurus Express, leaving Istanbul on Wednesday night. I got to the station late, and as I walked down the long platform toward the first-class carriages, I sensed a tenseness in the crowd. First, I couldn't explain it. Then I noticed that the platform was alive with police. They stood at the door of every car, motionless, solemn-faced, carefully scrutinizing everyone who got aboard. And it seemed that everyone on that bustling platform was aware of them. I found my car near the front of the train. A policeman stood at the open door. I paused to verify the car number, and suddenly I heard a voice at my elbow. I thought I had missed you. A pair of arms twined around my neck. A pair of lips were kissing me. Pushed her away to try to see her face, but she clung to me. Tried to say something, but she kept talking so fast I couldn't get a word in. How could you do this to me? To run off without even saying goodbye? I must be with you right up to the last minute, my darling. Last I could see her. She was beautiful. Very young and very beautiful. Turkish or Greek, I couldn't tell which, but lovely. Why? You must let me go on the train with you. See you safely to your compartment. I cannot bear it. Madame, I'm afraid you're making a mistake. Please. Please, you must help me. I will explain. But I... uh... Come, you will miss the train. I will see you safely on board. Come, hurry, so we may say our last goodbye in privacy. This last was thrown over her shoulder to the policeman standing there. She pulled me up the steps into the car. He stared at us, but he said nothing. In the moment, we were standing in the deserted corridor. Thank you, sir. Thank now you. look here, young lady. What is all this? It is the fault of those police standing out there. I could not get into the car alone. But why not? This is a first-class car. Only rich foreigners ride in first-class compartment. I could see by your clothes you were American. I knew you would help me. But why did you want to get into this car, especially? Because I... Suddenly she stopped. And her eyes were riveted on something behind my back. I turned to see a swarthy young man staring at us from the other end of the car. He was dressed in the uniform of a train conductor. Slid open a compartment door. There was an almost imperceptible jerk of his head, and then the girl slipped past me and into the open room. Conductor slid the door shut after her. Your number, sir? Huh? Oh, oh yes, yes, uh, 12. Yes, the next one. Here. If there is anything I can do for you, I shall be pleased. If you care to leave your ticket and passport with me, I shall be able to attend to Syrian customs without disturbing you later. As he talked, his eyes were not on me. He was watching the slow progress of a policeman through the car. The officer was walking by, glancing into each compartment. When he came opposite us, he spoke to the conductor. Polikala? Polikala. The conductor was standing squarely in front of the door of the girl's compartment, hiding her from view. The policeman walked on. In a moment, he had disappeared. Thank you, sir. I shall not disturb you. I went into my compartment. My bags were already there. The train was about to leave. Everything was in order. But I couldn't help wondering about the uh, incident I just witnessed. About the girl I'd involuntarily hemped and the conductor. Wondered about all those police out there. Obviously, something was going on. <laughs> then I remembered. This was Istanbul, Gateway to the Middle East was supposed to be alive with Axis spies. Could that girl be 
And then I laughed. Just my overage, stay-at-home mind imagining things. Then suddenly I heard a voice hey, in the corridor George, outside. What's the big idea? The voice was unmistakably American and music to my ears. I jumped to my feet and stepped into the corridor. There outside the next compartment was a young man, in civilian clothes, carrying a small bag and a briefcase. The swarthy conductor was approaching him with a worried look. How about look. this, huh? There's a dame in my compartment. Beg pardon, sir. There must be a mistake. This is compartment number 10. Naturally. You think I can't read? Number 10, that's mine. But number 10 is not sold. It is not marked on my list. The heck it isn't. I've got the ticket right here. What's with the dame? Please, not so loud. I don't get this. Uh, I... I beg your pardon. Can I be of any help? Hmm? Oh, you're an American, too. Yep. Humphrey Ward, Los Angeles. Tom Hatfield. Glad to know you. Look, what's with the dame? Do you know? No, I'm afraid please, I... Please, gentlemen, step into the compartment, please. But the girl... Please, in. Yes? Okay. Well, I... Please, I... sir. Oh, all right. Key evidence, the inner. Passaria. Officer, not to come. Hey, wait a minute. Talk English. What's all this about, anyway? It is... I am embarrassed, sir. You're embarrassed. I buy a ticket and find a dame in my compartment. Of course... On closer inspection, maybe I'm not so mad after all. She looks like a good deal. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Oh, you do speak English, huh? Sir, the policeman will come by, maybe look in. I must ask of you a favor. Yeah? If she could stay here just until the train has started, she will not bother you after that. Why can't she stay in her own compartment? Please, sir, I have no place else to put her. All the other places are taken. Oh, she's a deadhead, huh? Deadhead? No ticket. Stowaway. It is something like that. Oh, what's the setup? Is she your girlfriend? No, no, it is not like that. It is... You see, we are both Macedonian. She is escaping from the Nazis. She wants to go to Cairo to join the nurse corps. Oh? She has been for two years in Greece, under the Nazis. Mm -hmm. She is a real patriot. If you will help her... Well, maybe if you introduced us and let her speak for herself. She is called Maradalas. Well, let's make it Mary for short. Mary the deadhead. Hi, Mary. Hi. You're... Okay. Get her. She talks American. <laughs> I spent two years at the American school at Thessalonica. I work with Red Cross in Greece during the fighting. That so? I like Americans. I want to go to the United States. Who doesn't? I want to learn to be a real nurse. You will help me. Americans are always kind. Mm -hmm. This gentleman here, he helped me get on the train. Naturally. Now you will help me. <laughs> okay? Mm. Okay. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, I must go before the policeman gets suspicious. Okay, this may turn out to be a pleasure. <laughs> Looks like you don't need me. Uh, I'm in the next compartment. Maybe we'll get together later. Sure, sure. I'd offer you a seat, but we're sort of crowded already, Mary and me. <laughs> I went back to my seat laughing. Laughing mostly at the silly idea I'd had that maybe Mary the deadhead and her conductor friend were spies of some sort. Obviously, they were harmless. As harmless as... As I was. And that was completely harmless, confounded. I looked out the window as the train slid out of the station, leaving Turkey, leaving the war, going home. Back to complacent safety. Men were out here fighting and dying. They'd get no help from me. Me. Overage and useless. <laughs> I felt pretty sorry for myself. It wasn't until the next day that I began to get acquainted with my fellow passengers. Mary the deadhead was riding on the conductor's jump seat at the end of the car. 
The uh, Ruvians, an Armenian couple, were in 14, the compartment next to mine. Young Tom Hatfield was on the other side of me. And two Greek refugees, a Mr. Chiniara and a Mr. Drika, were next to him in eight. Hatfield kept pretty much out of sight all day, and it was Mr. Chiniara who shared a table with me at dinner that night. I didn't much care for him, but he was somebody to talk to. You Americans, you do not realize how lucky you are. No, I suppose not. You do not know what it is to be safe. Just look around you. Almost all the passengers on this express are refugees. All of them would pay much to be going to the United States as you are. Yeah, I suppose so. But yes. <laughs> Where else is there any security for us? But you, sir, and your young friend are already secure. Wherever you go, you are always safe. But it is not so for us. Yeah, I suppose we do take a lot for granted and... Oh, here's Mr. Hatfield now. Uh, Hatfield, uh, won't you join us? Thanks, no, I'll just sit oh, over no, there. Oh, no, I insist. I, I was just leaving. You must join your friend. Oh, really? There's no oh, need. I insist, please. Okay. Well, thank you, Mr. Chiniara. It's been a pleasure. And for me, sir. Good evening. Good evening. Take it easy. Well, I haven't seen much of you today. Been resting, eh? Something like that. You ordered? Yes, I'll call the waiter. Never mind, he'll be back. Who's your slick-haired friend? Oh, Mr. Chiniara? He's a Greek refugee, just escaped from the Nazis. Everybody out here just escaped from the Nazis. He was saying how lucky we are to be Americans. Guess they don't see many of us in Turkey these days. I guess not. I haven't seen many of us myself. Funny, I didn't run into you in Istanbul. I wasn't there, just passing through. Oh. Now, I thought I'd have met you at the American mission or somewhere. No. I, uh... Well, I'm out here at the State Department. Oil. And I didn't have much luck. I'm going home now. Too bad. Hmm. Plenty of things for us Americans to do out here, though. Like, uh, oil and other things, you know? Of course, they give the unimportant stuff to has-beens like me. Need the good stuff for young fellows like you. Okay, Mr. Ward. Huh? What? Okay. I'm Tom Hatfield, Frankfort, Kentucky. White, Protestant, 26, unmarried. No, I'm not a draft dodger, and no, I'm not AWOL. And yes, I'm here on business, which is none of yours. I'm a captain in the Air Force. Two years overseas. You might say officially I'm on a holiday. The fact is, I'm taking this train to Adana, where I get off at 5 tomorrow morning, cross the border, and catch a plane that's waiting to take me to Cairo. Anything else you want to know? Oh, I, I'm sorry, I... No, no, no. I, sit down, sit down. I'm sorry. I guess I'm getting on my own nerves. Forget it, will you? Oh, it's nothing. You needn't think that... Riding on trains is kind of bad for a flyer. Makes me jumpy. I understand. But uh, you must have already been through a lot. I do understand. I was in France in 1918. I know what it's like. Maybe you know better than I do. Oh, I wouldn't say that, but I envy you. I'd give anything to be in it. You're lucky you're not. Oh, I know, I know. It's no fun being old and useless like me either. I envy you. I can tell you're doing something important. You can? How? Mm-hmm. By the way, you're so careful with that briefcase. Carry it around with you all the time. You got it on your lap now. Probably got something important in it. The statues or something. So you noticed that, did you? Well, I hope nobody else on this train is so observant, Mr. Ward. Oh, you're pulling my leg. What difference would it make, anyway? You can never tell. On a train like this, out here, you never know. Oh, you mean spies? Well, I... But why? I haven't seen anyone who looks suspicious. Spies are never suspicious looking, Mr. Ward. They're anybody. Anybody who wants to make a quick buck and doesn't care how he does it. This train is alive with people like that. Oh, yeah, but, but who? Who? I'll just take, for instance, Mary the Deadhead. 
She's young and pretty, yes. But she's broke. And her shifty-eyed boyfriend, the conductor. Oh, but they're Greeks. She's a refugee. So she says. But didn't it seem strange to you that he put her in my compartment by mistake? My name wasn't on the list, so he said. Were you satisfied with her story? Well, for a moment I was suspicious, but... You can't take too much for granted. Now, for instance, the story I just told you. I might be a spy, mightn't I? That whole thing might be hogwash. Well, no, no. You're American. I know that. Who else would say hogwash? No matter. I could be an American traitor. There are such things. Oh, but that... Or you might be the spy. Yeah, they even look like you. Meek and mild. Casper Milktoast. <laughs> and their cover stories are pips. Like telling you they're out here looking for oil. They strike up a conversation, ask questions, and notice briefcases. Oh, but look. Now look here. Surely you don't think... No, I don't think anything. I only say... You never can tell, Mr. Ward. Of course he was kidding me, pulling my leg. But I didn't really mind. I liked him. And he had a right to be cocky and flip. He was doing something for the war effort. Even though I knew he was kidding me, I went to bed thinking about spies and fell asleep dreaming of them. Then, very suddenly, I awoke with a terrible sense of urgency. There was something that I must do. I looked at my watch. It was ten minutes to five. The train was dark. Everything was quiet. And yet, I felt I had to get up. I started to put on my clothes. It didn't make sense, but then I remembered. It was Tom Hatfield, not me, who had to get up at five, leave the train at Adana to cross the border into Syria and take his plane. Those dispatches must be important. If he had to change to a fast plane as soon as he got out of neutral Turkey. When I stepped out into the dimly lit corridor, it was, it was deserted. I knocked on Hatfield's door. No answer. I tried the handle. The door slid open into darkness. Something was wrong. I switched on the light and went in. Tom Hatfield lay there in the bunk asleep. Hey, Hatfield! Rise and shine. We're coming into Adana. You've got to get off. I shook him. He didn't move. Then I saw blood on his pillow and on his head. I looked around quickly. The briefcase was gone. Uh, Kiborkian! Kiborkian! Is something wrong, sir? Did either of you see anybody go into number 10? No. Nobody. Who should go... Look, do you have keys to the doors? But no. There are no keys. The lock from the inside is sliding bolt and chain. Nobody can get in once they are locked. Yeah, that's what I thought. I knew Tom Hatfield would have locked that door. Somebody must have gotten in some other way and left that corridor door open as a false clue. But how? Then I noticed the door which connected to number eight. I tried it. It was locked. This didn't make sense. But through my mind was racing one thought. American dispatches have been stolen. Tom Hatfield is out. It's up to me. I, I searched the room. I found an automatic under the mattress, but no briefcase. I heard the train start up again. We were leaving Adana. I looked again at the connecting door. Then I got it. The bolt was fastened on the other side of that door, but on this side it was not. That meant that someone could have come in through number eight. I knocked on the door. I heard a movement, and then the bolt slid back and the door swung open. I was face to face with Mr. Chiniara. And he was staring at the gun in my hand. What is it? 
What is that for? The briefcase. The bag of my friend. Is it here? Briefcase? Bag? Oh, we have here only our valises. This door has been opened. Something is missing. Oh, if you have lost something, I pray you to look. I know nothing of it. Hey, come in, please, and look. All right, I will. I'm not accusing anyone, but I just want to be sure that... <laughs> I felt was a stinging coldness on my face, a rushing of wind, and I realized that I was hanging half out of the window of the car. They were shoving me out of the train. Savagely, I, I kicked. I felt something give, and I pushed myself back and slid down onto the floor. I felt something hard under me, the gun. In the dim compartment, I saw them coming at me, Chiniara and Tricar. I raised the gun. What is it? What has happened? Oh, look! On the floor! Shut the door quickly! Are they... Wait, let me look. Yes. Both of them. Finish. They... they took the briefcase. I'm sure they did. Hey, who's shooting up the place? Hatfield! Holy cow, will you look at that? What's happened? Well, the briefcase, it's here someplace. I'm sure it is. Hey, wait a minute, fella. You're all banged up here. Looks like we both got bumped. Here, sit down. You'll need a drink. Mary, you'll find a pint in my bag. Bring it in here, will you? But but they got the papers. Okay. We ought to look. They did? Yeah, the briefcase isn't here. I, I don't see it. Oh, well, there wasn't anything in that briefcase except some old Istanbul newspapers. They probably threw it out the window. Back at Haider Pasha, a Britisher I know warned me to be careful on this trip. I put my classified material someplace else. Oh, but then that means I killed two men without any cause. Without a shred of evidence to back up my story. Uh, how we waste time. Quick, the Syrian border police got on the train at Adana. They might be here any minute. Now, who is dead here? Mary, the deadhead, took me into Hatfield's room and carefully administered first aid to my cuts and bruises. But Kevorkian and Hatfield were busy in number eight. What... what are they doing? Never mind. Pay no attention. But... They're throwing the bodies out of the window. Think not of it, please. Heike Borkin is a Macedonian. When he fought the Germans at Thessalonica, he threw bodies over the cliffs. He knows what he is doing. Oh, but... But you, you are a brave man, too. Even if you are not Macedonian, you would be judgment tried for two, three years in spite of your age and your innocence. It is better to have no bodies. What's that? Be quiet now. The border police. Well, we got the room cleaned up just in time. Number eight, and Rika. She has their passport. I forgot. No, they are not here. I. I can tell you about Chiniara and Rika. This man here, Mr. Ward, he is American general in disguise, secret service. He put Chiniara and Rika off at Adana with pistol. They were spies. Good heavens! He'll never believe that. Never mind. This man is a Syrian. He does not care what happens in Turkey. But do you have any Syrian money? Oh, oh yes, yes. Here, in my wallet. Good. Give it to me. <laughs> Thank you. Now, come with me, Sergeant. Do not worry now, Mr. Ward. In a moment, Haiki Borkian will have those passports. We will throw them out the window, and there will be no trace. And to think, Mary. I thought you might be drawing down an Axis paycheck. <laughs> it is no matter. Now we are out of Turkey. And before long... I can go to United States. Baby, that might not be so easy. You've got no money, no passport, no transportation through the combat zones. Never mind. I shall do it. 
I walk to here from Macedonia, I can walk all the way. Like St. Paul in the Bible walked to Rome. Well, I wish you luck, but you'll have a time getting by British control at Aleppo. You can't smuggle a pack of cigarettes past them. Oh, but what about me? What about a murderer? I don't know. We'll see. It was morning when the train pulled into Aleppo, the station where British control came on. The trip had been pretty awful, with Tom trying to act as if nothing had happened, and with me staring into that empty room, imagining Chiniara and Drika sitting there staring back at me. Maybe they had been spies, maybe not. Now they were dead, and I was in trouble. We knew that the minute the train stopped. A soldier stood outside our windows and said, Look here! Everyone remains in his place in this car! We waited silently for many minutes. Then a British major in khaki short stepped in. Behind him I saw Kiborkin and Mary the Deadhead standing in the doorway. Good morning, I'm Radcliffe. I'm looking for two missing passengers identified as Greeks, Chiniara and, uh, and Brikar by name. Oh, come now, they seem to have been in the next compartment. And here, what became of them? Were there two? Hmm, young lady. Yes, sir? You weren't in number eight, were you? You don't seem to have any other place, nor a Syrian entrance visa. Please, I sat down in the corridor. It's quiet. Conductor, don't you remember two passengers booked through to Aleppo? One was a stout man, bookseller who escaped from Greece ten days ago. The other... Ah, was... those. They descended from the car at Adana. One was fat with slick hair and the other... Oh, oh yes. yes. Really? I say, isn't that a bullet hole in the wall up there? And you, sir, Mr. Ward, isn't it? Uh, How did you hurt your forehead? I... Uh, an accident. Uh, I bumped into... Oh, a... yes, quite. I should tell you that the Armenian couple in number 14 heard shots just after passing Adana. They were so frightened they locked themselves in until now. It's no use. I... I shot them. Both of them. They hit me first. Please realize that I'm not joking. My orders are to find those two pseudo-Greeks wherever they may be. Wait a minute. You said pseudo-Greeks? You mean... a Major, you want to find them? Mm -hmm. And how, as you Americans say. But why? Because we're advised by Istanbul that certain Axis agents have been working out of the Balkans with identification as refugees. These two, uh, Tiniara and Dikar, were on this train. Our man on the train saw them throw something out at Adana. They hardly threw themselves out. No, we did that. Your man at Haida Pasha tipped me off to expect trouble. Really? So they were agents. Certainly they were spies. I knew that. No Greek would be fat like Chiniara. After only one week escape from the Germans. And no Greek would have hair oil from Paris? Well, that being the case, will somebody start telling the truth? I will. This mild little gentleman, knowing nothing of the war and fighting, he kills you two men in a gunfight. How you say, like nobody business. And now, please, he is still suffering from shock. So will you please give him a plane direct to Cairo, where he can rest? And this American courier, he is late with dispatches. He must have a place in the plane, too. And, and since I cannot enter Syria without the passport, will you please put me also on the plane? Because in Cairo, I can get a job as a nurse with the Ella Greeks from Macedonia who are there. And maybe God will then give me a way to go to America. Like he passed St. Paul through the Taurus Gate. Is it 
a deal, Major? Three places on the first plane, and you have your men like the Royal Canadian Hoodies, only dead. Oh. The plane could be arranged, of course, if... All right, Mr. Ward. Tell him. Tell him. With the eyes of that amazing girl on me, my courage came back. I told him my story, completely, in every detail. He listened carefully and took it all down on his pad, and afterwards he said... That story, Mr. Ward, is not one bit of evidence to support it. By your own statement, the evidence is buried in the snow on the slopes of the Torres Mountains. Nuts. I tell you, I helped chuck it out. And I examined the two men. I am a trained nurse, and I said they were dead. And for identification, I, a soldier of Macedonia, can swear that their passports were the men you say. Hmm. Very well. I'll ring the airdrome. The evidence of three good witnesses is sufficient. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Three Good Witnesses by Harold Lamb. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel, with Morgan Farley as Humphrey Ward, Jack Webb as Tom Hatfield, Jeanette Nolan as Mary the Deadhead, and Harry Bartell as Kivokian. Music was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Beginning next Sunday night, Escape will be heard at a new hour, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Next Sunday night, we escape with another exciting adventure story created for you by one of the world's great authors. Good night, then, until 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time next Sunday night when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for George Burns and Gracie Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for George Burns and Gracie Allen and the story of how they wound up blackmailing Jack Benny. Well, hello. Come right in. Oh, George, we've got company. This is Bill Goodwin. Speaking for Lever Brothers, makers of Swan, the new white floating soap that's pure as fine Castiles. Well, it's Tuesday night again. Time for another pleasant visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen, our guests, Jack Benny, Jimmy Cash, Felix Mills and his orchestra, and the Swan Tet. And now, meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. Well, it's morning in the Burns home, and George is just coming downstairs to leave for the office. Good morning, dear. Good morning, darling. Look what the postman just brought you. A present from Pat O'Brien. Oh. 
I bet Pat is sorry he started that rumor about me being a juggler. Open the package, dear. All right. I met him yesterday, and I told him a few jokes. I guess that convinced him I was a comedian. <laughs> what, uh, what are you laughing about? What's in the package? A set of Indian clubs. <laughs> Next time I get my hands on that oh, Irishman, believe me... Oh, George. Before long, everybody will know that you're not a juggler. They'll know you for what you really are. And, uh, what, uh, what is that? Well, a singer, of course. Oh, oh that. Oh, sure. <clears throat> I-, I wrote to our sponsor and suggested that you sing on our program every week. That's the twelfth time. Yeah, but this time he answered. Say, that's a good sign. Open the letter. Mm, wait till Bing Crosby hears you sing. He'll retire and start to raise a family. <laughs> oh, Gracie. I'm not better than Crosby. As good, maybe, but, uh, well, <laughs> open the letter. What does the sponsor say? Believe me, there are plenty of other big programs that would like to have George Burns as a singer. Gracie, the letter, open it. Well? George, what are some of the other big programs? <laughs> Turn me down again, huh? Oh, never mind, dear. You're a great singer. Even Bill Goodwin said with, with a voice like yours, you ought to sing in our big army show. Army show? Yes, it's in charge of some officer named Major Bose. <laughs> I'll forget it. <clears throat> I better get along to the office. Yeah, I'll ride down in the bus with you. I have an appointment at the beauty shop. Okay, let's go. No way. Uh, before we leave, won't you sing something just for me? Oh, Grace. Oh, please, dear. Just one little glorious burst of melody. Well, all right. <clears throat> just a gigolo. Everywhere I go, people know the part I'm playing. Oh, oh. God, you're wonderful. I won't be happy until your voice leaves the whole world the way it leaves me, weak and limp. Thanks. Oh, come on. I'm due at the beauty shop in five minutes. What'll it be today, Mrs. Burns? A shampoo and set? Oh, yes, and I'm kind of in a hurry, Josie. Well, I'll do my best, Mrs. Burns, but we're short-handed. I have to work on the customer in the next booth, too. The old horse face, I hope he chokes. He? You mean there's a man in the next booth? Well, sort of a man. Josie, where are you? Oh, that's him. I wish he'd go sit on a hot curling iron. Josie, come back here. This finger wave of mine stinks. Josie, do you hear me? This finger wave stinks. All right, all right. Leave your hair on the table and I'll do it over again. <laughs> no, Josie. I'm sure I know that man. What's his name? I'm not allowed to tell, Mrs. Burns. The old goat scared the newspapers might find out he goes to a beauty shop. Oh, come on, Josie. Give me a little hint. Well, he's the stingiest man in Hollywood. Oh, stingy, huh? And how? When he gets a mud pack, we have to save the mud for him so he can put it in his victory garden. <laughs> Funny. I can't get it from that. Give me another hint. Well, let's see. Um, uh, he used to drive an old broken-down Maxwell. Uh, no, it's no use. I can't guess who it is. <laughs> You're not missing anything. He's tried to date every girl in town, and nobody will go out with him. Oh. Oh, hello, Jack. How's Mary? Gracie, is that you? Well, yeah, come on into my booth, Jack. Oh, sure, sure. (laughs) 
Hello, Gracie. I guess you're surprised to see me here. Oh, yes, I am. Well, you see, Mary lost her bobby pin the last time she was here. I, <laughs> I dropped by to look for it. <laughs> <laughs> You know what the bobby pin situation is terrible. Oh, sure. I bet you thought I was here to get a beauty treatment. (laughs) (laughs) Gracie, you sound like you don't believe me. (laughs) Maybe that's because I don't. (laughs) Well, if I'm lying, may something terrible happen to Phil Harris. (laughs) Oh, uh, Mr. Benny. Yes? Here's your mud. I wrapped it up for you. Oh, well. Phil always played too loud anyway. Well, Jack Benny in a beauty shop. Ah, wait till the girls hear this. Now, Gracie, look, look, you must oh, promise girls, me. I brought your swan soap. Oh, hello, Gracie. Oh, hello, Bill. Why, Jack Benny, what are you doing here? Well, I'll tell you, Bill. He's here. Well, Bill Goodwin in a beauty shop. Wait till the girls hear this, huh, Gracie? Wait a minute. I just came over to bring some swan soap. Well, Bill, I... Oh, Bill Goodwin has beauty treatments. That's really something to tell the girls, huh, Gracie? Hey, look. The operators here use swan soap. Not only because it's so mild for the customer's complexion, but because that same mildness makes it great at home. For the dishes, light laundry, or for bathing the baby. Swan's the new white floating soap that's four swell soaps in one. Well, Bill, well, Bill Goodwin in a beauty shop. <laughs> really, I, I thought that curly hair wasn't natural. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. No girl in this shop has ever laid a hand on me. Except, of course, after working hours. <laughs> oh. What are you doing here, Benny? Oh, well, I'll tell you, Bill. Jack is... So, Bill Goodwin in a beauty shop. <laughs> Manicures and everything. I am not. My hands just happen to look gorgeous because I always wash my dishes with Swan. Oh. Swan is great for washing the dishes. Gives you loads of suds. Suds that are so mild and gentle your hands don't get that rough red dish panty look. Well, Bill. Bill! Yeah. <laughs> Bill, good one in a beauty shop. And and to have his eyebrows plucked. That's something, isn't it? Now, look, Jack. I told you, I just came here to deliver some swan soap. Swan's a great wartime buy. What I want to know is, what's Jack Benny doing here? Well, I'll tell you, Bill. Well, Bill, go all nuts. Goodbye. <laughs> Gracie, Gracie, look, for heaven's sake, don't let out my secret. I mean, I don't want everyone I meet to know I've been taking beauty treatments. Oh, don't worry, Jack. They'll never suspect it. (laughs) Well, anyway, don't you tell. You know, if the newspapers get hold of it, I'm cooked. And you know how the gang would kid me on my program. Oh, yeah, your program. Uh, Jack, you don't want this to get in the papers, huh? No, I'll do anything to keep it out, Gracie, anything. Oh, good. Uh, Starting Sunday, Jack, George will sing on your program. (laughs) George? Yes. Sing? Uh Uh-huh. Gracie, I've heard prettier noises come out of Carmen Lombardo. (laughs) I see. Well, excuse me, Jack, I'm going to telephone a little news item to the paper. Wait, wait, oh, you mean George Bird? Yes. Oh, George, your husband. Yes. Oh, old sugar throw. Sure. Oh. Oh, well, I, I don't suppose it would hurt if George sang on my program once. Well, I was thinking of having him sing every week. No, no, no. Yeah, no, well, I'll call the paper.
newspaper. But, Gracie, this is blackmail. <laughs> I know. Cute of me, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cute, cute. Ted joins our popular tenor, Jimmy Cash, in an enchanting ballad from the top musical show of the year, Oklahoma. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. Horn is as high as an elephant's eye. And it looks like it's climbing clear up to the sky. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I got a beautiful Benny is pleading with Gracie to change her mind as they wait for George to come home from the office. But, but why does it have to be my program, Gracie? I mean, why don't you have George sing on Eddie Cantor's program? Well, because I didn't catch Eddie Cantor in a beauty shop with his toupee and Carla's. <laughs> See, there must be some other show he can go on. Maybe, maybe Gabriel Heater needs a singer. <laughs> or Mr. Anthony. I mean, why don't you let George be his problem? Oh, you, you amaze me. How can Jack Benny, who has the greatest talent in the world, fail to recognize George's talent? Oh, oh, oh do you really think I have the greatest talent in the world? Well, certainly. Rochester, Dennis Day, Mary Livingston. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. And now I've got a big thrill for you. I have your program for next Sunday night all planned. You have? Yes. It'll be the new and entertaining Jack Benny program featuring George Burns, California's answer to Frank Sinatra. I... Look, I, I can't do it, Gracie. I mean, I can't allow George to sing. Well, shall I call the papers and tell them about the beauty shop? He sings, he sings, he sings. <laughs> now, listen to the way I have the program all worked out. Hey, you're the star, so of course you come out first. Thank you. Your line is... Hello. And then George comes out for his opening number. I just say hello. Well, we could make it hello, everybody. No, no, I don't want to hog the whole show. <laughs> well, then George sings his second number, and back you come again. Good. To good. announce George's next number. I hope my throat stands up. And then right after that, Dennis Day comes in. Dennis Day? Yes. Well, doesn't George do all the singing? Well, yes, but I thought you might want a few laughs on the program. Oh, yeah, I'll be glad to have them. I will, yes. And uh, then as soon as George finishes his next number, I'll come... Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Gracie, George can't sing the whole program. I mean, he's not that good. 
I know music. You know, I'm a musician. You are? Well, I play the violin, don't I? <laughs> well, don't I? <laughs> You're cute. <laughs> Look, Gracie, all oh, that I'm... Why, Jack Benny. Hello, George. How's the juggling game? I'm not a juggler Why doesn't everybody stop with that? Oh, now, dear, don't get excited Jack has some marvelous news for you Tell him, Jack Well, Jack I think I'll go call the papers All right, all right, I'll tell him Oh, good I'll run out and make some coffee Well, Jack What is it you want to tell me? Well, first First, I'd like to remind you That you're my dearest friend, George And you're my dearest friend, Jack I mean, you're even more than a friend to me, George. You're even more than a friend to me, Jack. I love you. I love you like a brother, George. I love you like a brother, Jack. I mean, I'd never do anything to hurt you, George. Thanks. Wait a minute. I'll try that again. (laughs) I'd never do anything to hurt you, George. I said thanks. George, look, I mean, I wouldn't louse you up if you had a comedy program. If I had a comedy program. (laughs) I mean, look, you're my dearest friend. Look, Jack, what's the news, Jack? I mean, you're even more than a friend of me. The news, Jack. What's the news? What pals we've always been, Uh, The news, Jack. You have some news for me. Look, remember the time in Cincinnati when you were broke and I gave you $10? It was Cleveland, Jack, and I gave you $20. (laughs) Well, I had the state right. It was Ohio. Yeah, the news, Jack. What's this news you have for me? Well, yes. Well, dear, did Jack tell you the news? No, not yet. He's been he's been leading up to it by the way of Cleveland and Cincinnati. Jack, I'll bet little Abner won't be the funniest thing in the paper tomorrow. Oh, all right. George, look, I want you to sing on my radio program. Why, Jack Benny. Now now don't be really? hasty, George. I mean, don't don't jump at it. Uh, think it over for the duration. <laughs> I don't have to. I'll sing a dozen songs for you, pal, and it won't cost you a cent. For free? Sure. No, no, no. no. I, I can't think of it that way. Well, all right, then you can pay me. No, I can't think of it that way either. <laughs> I know what's making Jack hesitate, dear. He hasn't heard you sing recently. Sing ain't misbehaving for him. Sure, glad to. Well, sit down, Jack. No, I'll take it standing up. <laughs> now, come on, dear. No one to talk with all by myself. No one to walk with, I'll have to be on the shelf. Hey, misbehaving, saving all my love off. Oh, baby, love you, really saving love for you. He doesn't juggle at all. No. I know for certain you're the one I love. I'm through with flirting, it's you that I'm thinking of. Hey, misbehaving, saving all my love for. Oh, baby, my love for you. Jack, what makes you think he's a juggler? He must be. Jackie Horner. In the corner, don't go nowhere And I don't care all your kisses that you gave me, baby Daddy, daddy, daddy I might be blood and guts, but that's just guts Stay out late and I don't care to go I'm home about it, me and my radio Ain't misbehaving, saving all my love for 
you. Well, Jack? Gracie, call the newspaper. <laughs> Time for Felix Mills and his orchestra. Tonight, from Felix's memory album, it's Honeysuckle Rose. something? I got the impression that Jack Benny didn't like my singing. Oh, George, that's silly. Didn't you hear him tell me to call the newspapers? He wants to give them a big story about you. Yeah, but I noticed that while I was singing, he, he kind of turned green. Oh, well, of course, of course he turned green. You sang exactly like John McCormick. Oh, so that's what it well, was. Well, sure. Now, I'll go in and talk to Jack. You stay here and spray your precious little adenoids. Okay. From time to time and every time... Jack? Yeah? Well, naturally, you were joking before when you told me to call the newspapers, weren't you? Not me, Gracie. Look, I'd rather have everybody know I was in a beauty shop than have Sugar Throat smell up my program. <laughs> well, I'm warning you, I'll phone the paper. Phone them. This is my last warning, Jack. Go ahead. I'll phone the paper. Phone them. This is my last warning, Jack. Go ahead. I'll phone the paper. Phone them. This is my last warning, Jack. Go ahead. I'll phone the paper. For Pete's sake, phone him. No, Jack, no, I can't. I'm too fine, too decent. I can't stoop to blackmail when I see it isn't working. Now, now, please don't think I'm a heel, Gracie. I'm, gee, I'm kind of animals. I'm fond of children, but I, I just don't like George's voice. Oh. You're fond of children, huh? I love them. <sighs> Poor little Junior. Poor little who? Junior. He'd be so proud if he knew that his daddy had sung on the Jack Benny program. Gracie, you mean... Yes. George and I are parents now. He's the father and I'm the mother. <laughs> Gee whiz, I, I can't believe it. How... When did it happen? Well, I don't remember exactly. We were so excited at the time. 
Well, I'll be darned. Good old George has a baby. It hardly seems possible. Yes. I was amazed when George told me. <laughs> I just can't get over it, Gracie. I'm so happy for you. So happy for George. Who does the kid look like? Like me. I'm so happy for the kid. <laughs> Say, could I could I see him? I'm crazy about kids. Really, Jack? Oh, sure. I mean, many, many's the time I bought a bag of candy and blew up the bag to amuse a kid. <laughs> Imagine good old George, a father. Well, you can do something awfully nice for Junior. Let his father sing on your program. Gracie, I'm mad about children. No, that... please, Jack. The baby adores you. When you're on the air, he lies in his crib gurgling with his little foot in his mouth. When Fred Allen's on, he puts his foot in his ear. He was a smart little rascal. Oh, I know you'll do it for Junior. I can look in your sensitive blue eyes and tell that you won't disappoint him. They are blue, aren't they? <laughs> All right, George can sing one song just for the baby. Well, let him sing two songs. We're expecting another one. <laughs> really? Yes. Good old George. <laughs> Did I hear somebody call me? No, we were talking about you. Gracie told me everything. Congratulations, George. You mean I can sing a song on your program? Yes, sir. You deserve it. Gracie tells me there's going to be another one. Well, two would be fine if it's all right with you. <laughs> well, why not? Have you picked out a name for the second one? Would you like Moon Glow? <laughs> Moon Glow Burns. Won't that be just a little too corny? Oh, I don't think so, Jack. You know, while you were away, I took a few lessons from Crosby. <laughs> you did? Yes. Now, George, I know Jack's in a hurry. Yeah, yes, I'll be going. But, George, first, can I see the nursery? Well, Jack... The nursery? Hiya, folks. What goes on? Oh, Bill, am I glad to see you. Bill, I just heard the news. Now, why didn't you tell me that George and Gracie had yeah, a... Yeah, yes, Bill. Oh, why didn't you tell Jack what George and I had? Well, what did you have? An idea for you to announce Jack's program, and George sings at it. Huh? But I'm... Oh, well, that's a great idea, Jack. I'd be glad to. Now, wait a minute. I have an announcer, Don Wilson. Well, okay, you can have two announcers. Don Wilson is to announce. <laughs> but Don can't announce your program, Jack. He doesn't know anything about Swan Soap. Swan Soap? Well, sure. He doesn't know that Swan is the new white floating soap that's four soaps in one. The soap for dishes, light laundry, bathing the baby, or for your hands and face. Don doesn't know that. Well, I could teach him. I mean, what am I saying? I don't sell soap. I... I sell grape nuts flakes. Well, but, but that's ridiculous, Jack. Can you bathe a baby with grape nuts flakes? Well, I wouldn't want to answer that until I've talked to my sponsor. <laughs> well, I can... They're very resourceful, you know. Well, I can... They may be working on that right now. <laughs> well, I can tell you the doctors recommend Swan for bathing the baby. Swan is so mild it's kind even to a little baby's tender skin. Pure as fine Castiles, too, so you know it must be great for your complexion. Gee, bathing a baby. Do you ever bathe that little darling of yours, George? Don't be silly. We take showers. <laughs> uh-huh. He, he means us. But the swan 
Johnny is great for bathing the baby. Oh, yes, and Gracie breaks it in two, so she... Breaks it in two? (laughs) Well, sure, Jack. Swan breaks in two, so you can use half in the kitchen for your dishes and light laundry and half in the bathroom for the baby or for your tub or shower. Oh, well, look, Bill, don't bother to tell me about Swan so because I'm just using George on my program, not you. You see, I'm only doing it for Junior. Junior? Well, yes, George. That's what Jack calls you because you're so much younger than Jack. <laughs> no, no, look, I mean the baby. The baby? Well, yes, that's what he calls me because I'm so much younger than you. No, Gracie, look, I'm talking about your child. Child? Well, goodbye, Jack. See you at rehearsal Sunday. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Gracie, what does he mean, our child? Oh, dear. I knew there was something I forgot to tell you. <laughs> we haven't got a child. You... Well, so that's it, Gracie. Just to get George on my program, you invented a baby. Oh, no, I can't take credit for that. They were invented years ago. (laughs) Don't try to get out of it. I don't want to sing on the radio if I have to get on by tricks. Now apologize to Jack. I'm sorry, Jack. And don't ever do a thing like that again. I won't do. Ever, understand? Yes, dear. Come on, Jack, I'll walk you down to the corner. My goodness, George, what you go through with a (laughs) name... Hello? Hello, Fipper? This is Gracie. Oh, would you and Molly let George sing in your program next week? Yeah, I know you've got to sing it, but I thought you might do it for Junior. Yes, you see, we just had a baby. George and Grace will be right back. And I'm just going to be here long enough to remind you that the government needs your waste kitchen fats more than ever before. Now, I know sometimes it's a lot of trouble to render the extra fat you trim from meat and to strain all your waste fats from roasting and frying. But those waste fats are so urgently needed for making glycerin. And that glycerin is so necessary for making ammunition that I know you won't mind doing whatever you can. So don't forget, huh? Turn those waste fats into your butcher and keep turning them in. Well, here they are again, those ever-loving Burnses, George and Gracie. Well, George, I've got some wonderful news. Silver McGee wants you to sing on his program. Really? Yes. And when he comes over to close the deal, will you sort of fold this napkin into a triangle? Why? And, well, for some silly reason, he thinks we have a baby. Again? Good night, Good night. The makers of Swan, the new white clothing soap, join George and Gracie in inviting you to tune into your Columbia station again next week, same time. Don't forget, George Burns and Gracie Allen... CBS next Tuesday night. And now till next week, this is Bill Goodwin saying, Well, I, Swan, how about you? Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.